0: Welcome to the King's Cost dynamic teaching, recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. So we're going to look at the Word of God today in Luke 22, and I just want to pick up just just kind of set the tone for the stories that. We want to look today at the scene where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if anything, this scene is a scene that actually doesn't look too great for Jesus. Um, if, it was, if you think about Jesus, you'd think that all of his life would have been great. But how many of you know as a Christian sometimes, life's not always that great. Even when you're fulfilling the purposes of the Father. And so it's not always easy. And I want to just look at this because Jesus reaches this point and goes to pray in Gethsemane. Gethsemane uh, means uh, oil press, the place where the the olive trees, they would have grown the olives and produced the oil uh, from there. And if you could look at this scene, you would imagine that there was a great deal of pressing on Jesus' life. Verse 39, it'll come up on the screen. It says this Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. I don't know about you, but do you sometimes feel a little bit exhausted? Even when Jesus is around, you'd think that they'd be on fire. You know, if Jesus is hanging around, you'd be on fire. He says they were exhausted from sorrow. Jesus said, verse 46, Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. While they were still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man? with a kiss. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, "Lord, should we strike with our swords?" And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off sorry, the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, "No more of this." And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, "Am I leading a rebellion?" That you have come with swords and clubs. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. And then, verse 53 at the end, it says this Jesus says, But this is your hour when darkness reigns. When I read that, I don't know about you, but verse 53, I got to the end and I read what Jesus said. And if there's any sentence I didn't expect Jesus to say, is, But this is your hour where darkness reigns. I mean, this is the light of the world. This is Jesus Christ himself telling the people who've come to collect him, I'm telling you now, this is your hour where darkness reigns. I mean, if you went up to someone as a born-again Christian and said, sometimes in your life, do you realize there's going to be hours in your life where darkness gets to reign? You'd say, I don't think that's right because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is with me all the time and, some, and, and nothing's ever going to come against me. That's true to some degree. But what Jesus was saying here is, I'm allowing, the heavens are allowing you to take control because at the ultimate outcome of this is going to be something for the Father's glory, for my glory, because what we want to do is save people. Now, sometimes Satan doesn't see, he seems to be one step behind. And sometimes in our life, there are times and seasons where Darkness seems to reign. I don't know if that's the case for you. You could say, I've stepped into this, this time, this hour, where it feels like Jesus doesn't seem to be in control. I mean, isn't it amazing when you read the story of Jesus on the storm that he's sleeping? You know, you'd think, what's happening? Why is Jesus sleeping? You know, it's interesting. I find that interesting because Jesus, he knew in his heart that everything was going to be okay. Sometimes we've got to rest in knowing that even in a storm, it's, sometimes we've got to go to sleep and rest, knowing that he's with us. The title of the message today is this, When All Hell Breaks Loose. You may say, well, what what do you mean by that? I'll tell you what I mean. When all hell breaks loose means when everything around you seems to be going wrong, you've not got enough hands to, to hold all the plates up, and you're asking yourself the question, where is Jesus in all of this? When all hell breaks loose against you, and that's what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane, hell was breaking loose, but can I just say this, when you're on the Father's plan and His agenda, when all hell breaks loose against you, all heaven is about to break in. Amen. Amen. All heaven is set ready on the mark to break into your situation. Now if all hell breaks loose against you and you're not a servant of the Most High God, If you're not a servant of Jesus Christ, then I'm afraid to say all hell may consume you. But when all hell breaks loose against you as a Christian, you've got to get together in your mind. You've got to get around people who believe this and encourage you that sometimes when it's all bad, Jesus says heaven is about to break in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, in your darkest hour, Can I just say for every hour, there's always a time limit. You might be in your darkest hour, but you might get the 60 minutes, but 61 minutes or the next minute of the next hour. We sung a song earlier It says, will we be singing when evening comes? What does that mean? You look at Paul and Silas. They praised in the dark times. They praised. They had an ability to sing through the darkest period. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen on the news just in the last week, and uh, uh, they've been tackling a fire up in Manchester at Saddleworth Moor, and there's this point at this, in, in Manchester where it is, this moor that's on fire, you look it up on, on, on the news, and they've been tackling this fire, and the reason why the fire keeps burning is because the, the heat underneath the, the peat, it ca- they can't control it that easily. So it's been burning through and merging together. And at this point in this fire, there's this place called Winter Hill. Now you'd think Winter Hill ain't going to burn that well. Winter Hill is on fire. At the top of Winter Hill is one of the biggest TV communication and radio mass in the country that is distributing the communication signals for you to watch TV and radio and they're trying to protect this because if that goes down and it breaks, it's going to destroy communication. And you know, sometimes when we see in this story, what happens is Jesus is in a place where you'd imagine the disciples would be saying, Winter Hill, nothing's going to happen to us here. We need to stop Jesus. We need to stop the, the Jesus from getting hurt. We need to stop this thing from happening. So they'll do everything they can. But sometimes when trouble comes, trouble's there for a reason. Can I say to you today, that if you're saying, why Why is this happening to me? Why is this darkest hour come upon me? Let me say heaven is about to break in. And it's about, God is about to do something new and fresh in your life. Amen. John 19 verse 10, Pilate said this, don't you realize, he said to Jesus, he sees Jesus and he says, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you. Now think about this, Jesus is stood there, he's been flogged and, and he's going through this torment, Pilate says these words, I've got the ability to let you go or kill you. You, you wouldn't say to Jesus at that moment, you're living in a great hour. You could say that he seems to have lost control. But Jesus responds in verse 11 of John 19, and he says, You, Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, what he says is, you think you're in control. Darkness looks like it's taking control. Everything looks like it's against me. If anyone was to observe me from the outside, they'd say, wow, he's living a tough time. But I want to tell you something, Pilate. You think darkness has overcome me. The only reason you have power is because it's been given to you. Let me tell you, if you're living your darkest hour, know this. The enemy might have been given the ability to do that in your life. But I know today that God is above any situation that you're in. Jesus recognizes Pilate's power. He he recognizes it, okay. He recognizes the, the power and authority he's got. But I'll tell you what he recognizes. He recognizes its origin. He knows where it's come from. And that's the difference The devil doesn't doesn't have power over you that's greater than God. Can I say, last was it the other day we watched England versus Belgium? I'm not into football much, but I like a bit of the World Cup. And I was looking at the statistics and they said these two teams, exactly the same. Goals scored and you looked at them on paper, they were ready to play. But let me tell you, someone's got to lose. They both looked equal. You know, as Christians sometimes, what happens is this. The devil, some of us, we've got no problem believing there's a devil. We've got no problem believing there's, there's a reality of a supernatural force against Jesus. We've got no problem believing that Jesus has power. We see healings. But do you know what the devil wants you to believe? He wants you to believe that it's two equal powers against itself. When you have two powers against each other, it's like a tug of war that never ends. It's like you're fighting a fight that no one's ever going to win. But can I tell you, Jesus Christ has no rival. So his power is above. He, is the, he made the devil. Come on. Some of us wonder why, but he made him. So listen, he has no rival. Therefore, let's just, just get this. I mean, everyone looks at these equations, what the scientists do, and I'm no scientist, but I've got a simple equation for you. Remember this for the rest of your life God plus you equals advantage. Easy. God plus you equals advantage. Whatever the enemy is telling you right now over your life, God plus you. Equals advantage. There is no rival against Satan. Against God, sorry. Satan tries to tell you he's greater. There's no rival. There is no rival. God plus you equals advantage. Romans 5.17, Paul says this. I love this, these verses. He says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man... How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness l- listen to this? Reign in life. Wow. Hang on a minute. Reign in life. I don't know if I'm reigning in life. Reign in life is that is that correct? Did they get a Did they get an error? Rain in No. It, 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 If we receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life not on our own merit, but what? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, if you try to live life by the old self, the Adam, the old self of you, listen, you will not reign in life. Darkness will reign over you. But when darkness seems to reign, if you follow the one man, Jesus Christ, you can reign in life. And reigning in life means sometimes reigning in darkness. Amen. It's good news today. Because what Paul says is, I am reigning in life. Now, if you went to Paul on his way to Malta and said when when he got bit by a snake... And he's on his way to, to Rome. If you'd have said to him, are you raining in life? He'd have probably turned around and said, I'm not so sure at the moment. When all the people turn on him and said, oh, if he's been bit by a snake, then he must be, there must be something wrong with this man. When he was on a ship that seems to be falling apart, and he's on his way to Rome, driven along, everything's going wrong. They don't listen to him when he's in shipwrecks, when he's beaten. Are you reigning in life? Are you reigning in life? Yes, I am. Because it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around me. It doesn't matter what's happening here. I am reigning in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's not about my circumstance. I want to bring just a few things to help you today. Of what I believe if All of us at some stage walk into these gardens. But listen, the garden was a stepping stone to the next thing. Jesus knew that the garden wasn't the end. He knew, what did we, we sung earlier, he was destined to die. He knew he was going to the cross. The garden was just a stop place. But it was a place where business was done in prayer. I want to bring some things to you to encourage you. And the first one is, when all hell breaks loose in your life, when you get into these seasons, number one, prayer turns fear into focus. One of the the, the things that the enemy loves to plague us with is fear. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, his love, power, and a sound mind. He doesn't want us to live in fear. And so many of us, we, we get sucked in to the way that the enemy tries to work. And what happens is when you're fearful, you don't pray. If fear overwhelms you so much, you don't pray. Because your fear, and how many of you know when fear comes, it's like that, that churning feeling inside that you're so overwhelmed by, there's no way out of this situation you can't even think straight. Anxiety sets in. You can't think straight. To go to the private place and to the solitary place to pray is hard. But I want to encourage you today that doing that, by setting that time aside to pray, will begin to change your fear to focus on the main thing. It says this, Jesus said in verse 41, he withdrew, it says he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Can I say that some of us need to start withdrawing and get a stone's throw away from some of the distractions in our life. Uh, And you might say, I find it interesting he gets there and he says, the disciples, he doesn't say anything about them. You know, saying, well, we're going to split up and we're going to go in this corner, you go in that corner. They all stick together and he says, I'm going to set a principle here that actually it's great to be together and get some good advice. But sometimes you've got to separate yourself from people and get into the presence of God and spend time praying. Job got lots of advice, but it's great when God speaks, isn't it? It puts it all in perspective. And so some of us today, I really feel that there is a a word for you today. Maybe you need to withdraw. Maybe you need to get to that place when it's so overwhelming that you withdraw. Now, what does withdraw mean? It may mean turning your mobile phone off. It may mean turning your gadget off. It may mean turning Netflix off. It may mean turning the TV off. There we go. We'll pray for you later he's got a lot of problems, hasn't he? A lot of gadgets as well. Listen, some of us need to shut things off so that we can spend time. That's what withdrawing is. Do you know what I find amazing? Luke 5, 16, it says this. It talks just, just before this in verse 16. It talks about Jesus. He's just healed the leper. He's just seen amazing miracles. He's done all these great things. And it says people, crowds are following him. And you can imagine, he's thinking, wow, this is amazing. Seeing the leper get healed, crowds are following me. The ministry is going well. In fact, I might make a website next week and a Facebook page. This is going brilliant. But it doesn't say that. It says that all these things were happening. And then in Luke 5, 16, it says, Jesus withdrew to lonely places often and he prayed. I love that little interjection there because what it says is, even when things are going amazing for you, it doesn't mean you reject prayer. He could have have easily, and by the way, many of us can do this, get sucked in to the attraction to the crowd, the attraction to ministry, the attraction to what everything Christianity has about it, all the good stuff. But he says amongst all of that, he withdrew to the lonely place and prayed. Even Jesus sets that principle. And I I want to encourage you today. Maybe you need to withdraw. He says a stone's throw beyond them. And I love the fact it says he knelt down and prayed. This is Jesus. Jesus. He knelt down and he prayed. Some of us sometimes we need to kneel and honor our Father. When we kneel before him, he will come and meet with us. Then what happens is, when he withdraws and he gets into this place, remember in verse 40 he'd said to the disciples, before he leaves them, he'd said, pray or you're going to fall into temptation. Now, when he says that, I used to think when I just read that quickly, oh, he's like, pray that you, you, know, you don't fall into temptation, that you don't fall into that old sin, you know, that problem that we talked about, you know, watching Netflix a lot. Just pray. We're in the garden. I know we're on the way to the cross, but you know them difficulties we chatted about when we were back in in Jerusalem? You know, just pray for... No, I don't believe he was saying that at all. I believe that Jesus was saying, don't fall into temptation to abandon me when it gets difficult. When it's about to get so difficult that you're going to see things that in the natural do not look right. They do not look like they have any grounding. They don't even look like they're from heaven. They look like they're from hell. They look like it's all going wrong. Do not fall into temptation to run away and abandon me. That's what he was asking them to pray because he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. But can I just say, when you pray, what happens is you gain a heavenly perspective. What they, what He didn't want them to have. You see, if you fall into temptation, you've got an earthly perspective. This is all going wrong. Everything's going wrong. But if you have a heavenly perspective, you see God's plan. And so what Jesus says is, pray this prayer, because this is what's going to happen. Then He, he goes away, and, and, and Jesus says in verse 42, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not your will, but... But my will, but yours be done. What he's saying here is, he's saying, I, I want, if there's any way possible, can you remove this cup? Jesus knew what he had to do, but as I, have you ever done that? You kind of, you ask God, but you already know the answer. You kind of know that, you, you know what you're supposed to do, but you're just checking. You know it. You're just I'll just check in case there's a little bit of a, if there's a clause in this that we could just get through. Is there any way through this in the fine print? Are you sure, God? Is there any other way? No, you know the way I told you that 10 years ago. He didn't listen. And so he says, is there any way this, this, cup, this suffering could be took away from me? And he says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then I love this. And it's just interjected here in verse 43. It says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Wow. You don't seem too excited about that. I, I, I saw this and I thought, wow. This is amazing. Because why didn't the disciples see the angel? They were only a stone's throw away. Did they fall asleep? You'd think they'd be praying for the rest of their lives if they saw that. But Jesus prays and an angel comes. And I don't know about you, but I expect when the angel comes that the angel's going to come and just do something amazing and say, Look, I know it's been pretty tough here, but I'm going to make it all nice now for you. Everything's going to get really easy. It says that the angels strengthened him. But then I had a bit of a problem because then I read to the next verse in verse 44, just after the angels strengthened him. The next thing it says is, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, i got a problem because I want verse 44 to be before the angel comes. I think verse 44, it's almost like the writer's got this wrong. There's no way you're going to sweat drops like blood if you see an angel. There's no way if you're strengthened, this is going to happen and you're in anguish. Come on. If that's what it's all about, I'm packing the prayer life in. But I'll tell you what it means. The angel does not come. To change or remove the experience. The angel comes to strengthen Jesus so he can pray through the experience. Sometimes in life, you're not going to see prayer alter your experience, but it will align your dependence on God. Sometimes you're praying and the experience does not change one iota. That's something we say here. It doesn't change at all. But I see here that the angels strengthened Jesus to pray through. It says he prays more earnestly. Wow. Just at the point when he's about to give up. Can I just say that? When you feel like giving up on your prayer life, you pray and say, God, strengthen me. You may not see your experience change. But you may have a strength that you don't even see with your physical eye. It's invisible. Can I say that God's strength sometimes, you don't see it. You don't see the strength that comes. You might not see an angel appear in your bedroom. But what I can say is this, the word of God is true. That if I I saw this and I thought, I like this, I want some of this. So when I pray, I'm going to ask God to strengthen me. And if I don't see my circumstance or my experience around me change... What I'm going to do is believe and trust and know that God has given me an invisible strength to sustain. And I ask the question sometimes, if that strength wasn't there that I can't see with my physical eye, where would I be today? Can I ask you, some of you are thinking, I've not seen any of this strength. Maybe you are here right now, you've been praying through seasons, if the angel came to give you strength, you didn't even know about it. The Bible talks about us entertaining angels and we're not even aware. Angels may have come to you. And by the way, we believe in this. The Bible talks about it. Angels may have come to minister strength to you. You have had no idea. You may not even be sat here today. He wants to bring strength. And you're not always going to physically see that. See, the problem is we go through the circumstances. We're praying. We know what God said over our lives. And then we wonder why certain things are happening to us. Last week, when I came back from from the north of the country, I came on the train and I had a ticket that I'd booked my ticket in advance. And so it said, "Selection: Do you want the what kind of coach do you want?" So I select the quiet coach. Quiet coach. I've never. It wasn't quiet at all. And I, I don't travel on trains much, but I, I get on and I'm there with my bags and and I went on this train. I had a few changes and on the way home. I get to one place and they said there's been delays. We don't know if you're going to get the train. There may be buses because the heat, the, the, the weather has caused the signal systems to go down. So I get out of the platform and I don't travel on trains much, although I do enjoy it. It's nice sitting there and someone else doing it for you. And, and I, I get off the platform. It's like absolute chaos. People, and some of the things people say, you realize when it's when there's anger. Some of the things, honestly, I thought, I, was, I thought I'm not going to stand too close to the edge. Someone's going to shove me on the track. Where's my train? The poor woman trying to deal with everyone. Everyone getting, you realize, you start to realize the kind of world we live in. Impatient people. It's like, leave the poor woman alone. She's just come on a shift. Blaming her for the heat. I thought, I don't even want to ask her about my train. But I'll Leave the woman alone. And so I'm stood there and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to get on this next train. If there's this amount of people, she says, I'm not sure it's going to come. I thought, all of these people trying to get on. When I booked my ticket, it said, quiet coach. This ain't no quiet coach. I've got to fight for this coach. The the thing pulls up. They give me a free bottle of water. They're trying to keep everyone calm. I get a free bottle of water. And and I thought, "My, my only objective here is not to find my seats to get on the thing. Which one shall I go for? Everyone charges. We're all trying to push in. I've got my bags, pulling them on. I've got armpits in my face, and I'm stood there and I'm hold, just, just holding on for dear life. People pushing on to get on. We were like sandwiched. I didn't see that on the ticket when I booked it. I knew where I was going. I even prayed. I said, God, make sure I get this, this next train, because if I miss this one, I don't know what I'm going to get. So I'm praying, God, do this. But I didn't like the experience. I knew I was going to the destination because my ticket said it and I paid the price to get there. Some of us are like that. We know where we're going, but we don't like the experience. We didn't expect that because it didn't say it on the ticket. We didn't expect that the heat was going to come in and take down the signal system. But let me tell you, I still got home. I still got home. There's a message for you today. The destination that God has for your life, you're still going there. You're still going there. It's still happening. It's still going. You got the ticket because it's been purchased for you. Amen. Some of us give up on prayer. So no, no, the circumstance is too much for me. It's too heavy. This coach is too compressed. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. The experience is too hard. Second Samuel 12. You see King David gives up on praying for his son from the affair he has with Bathsheba this nameless son and we see that actually he's praying and fasting and all of the people around him are seeing him do this he's praying and fasting and then on the seventh day there you go number seven seventh day the child dies now what does it say that the people around him they're scared to tell David that the child's died So they're whispering, and he knows something's going on. And so he says, as the child died, and yes, it's died. And then they're they're thinking, oh, he's going to do something really desperate now. And then he says, they said, why aren't you praying anymore? Because he stopped praying. Verse 22 says, he answered them. And he says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Verse 23, but now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? And I read this and I just felt for some of you today. Some of you have said, it's too far gone. It's a dead situation. In fact, look at David's language. He says, Can I bring him back? The answer is, David, no. The answer is no. Yeah, you can pray, but you do not have the power and ability to bring the child back. And some of us, sometimes we pray so hard when the prayer doesn't get answered in the way that we thought it was going to get answered. What we then do is give up on prayer and say, it's too far gone. It's impossible for me to rescue this situation. Can't do any more. Can I remind you today, you're not the one who brings the dead back to life. You're not the one who resurrects people. There's only one and his name is Jesus Christ. And he calls you to pray still, even though the child is dead, if you know what I mean. Even though the situation is beyond what humans can see possible. It's not, can I bring him back? And it's God, you can change the situation. Now, we know Solomon came along later, but what I'm trying to say is use an illustration there to show you that sometimes we just give up when it's, the situation's not going the way we wanted it to go. Today, I want to say to you, it's time to pick up your prayer life again. It's time to pick up your prayer life again, because I believe God wants to do some amazing things. In 1 Kings, we look at Elijah when he says to his servant, go back. Go back and check again. Seven times. Seventh time. Seize the cloud the size of a man's hand. The Walls of Jericho fall. Seventh time round. Come on, sevens. And that doesn't mean you only have to pray seven times. Listen, some of us today need to keep on going because some of us are sixth prayer and we've given up. We've given up because we're saying, it's not happening the way I thought it would happen. But it's time to realize that God wants you to persist. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray without ceasing. That means don't don't give up. Don't give up. Pray without ceasing. Let me tell you, prayer for Christians is a powerful weapon. And if anything, the devil doesn't want you to see this. He wants you to think that prayer is just another thing you tick off the list. Can I say prayer is not just something you say before you go to bed and say it's a nice little prayer. It is prayer is something that's in your ability as a weapon to get through life. It's communication to the Father. And I, and I just want to encourage you today. Some of you are saying, oh, well, I've tried it and it didn't work for me. I tried for 10 minutes. I put a bit of music on and I just lost track. I fell asleep. Look, fall asleep praying. At least you're praying. <laughs> fall asleep praying. Listen, soak in His presence. But take the initiative to withdraw and to get a stone's throw away from your distraction. And I'm telling you, you're going to see a change in your life. You're going to see a change. You're going to see a change because it's in the Word of God. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. What does that mean? Devote yourselves means don't give up. Devote yourselves. Give yourselves to prayer. Don't give up. Then watch and then be thankful. In other words, you're going to be thankful because you're going to see something good. But some of you are saying, I've tried that. I've tried that, Phil. It didn't work for me. I've tried another tack. Now, I, I just worship God. Listen, you've got to worship God and you've got to pray. Amen? Prayer turns fears into focus. It realigns us to what God wants. When all hell breaks loose, number two is patience turns chaos into order. Luke twenty-two forty-nine, 49, he says, When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off. His right ear. That's Peter, by the way, if you didn't know. <laughs> we just let you know. Peter is the one who cuts off this ear. You see, I saw this and, and you, you read it and you think... They get in and they see the, the temple guards come in, the high priests, everyone, the elders, they all come in to try and to find Jesus with Judas leading them. And Jesus knows this is happening. He's been praying and he, he doesn't want them to fall into temptation and be distracted by this because he's expecting this, 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 this terrible time. And so he, they all come up to him. And in that moment of seeing this, the disciples say, Do you think we should attack with our swords? And before Jesus can answer, off goes someone's ear. His ear's gone before Jesus could even say three words, no more of this. The ear's got chopped off. How many of us sometimes ask God for things or we intervene into the situation because it's so bad, we get involved and we act in the flesh. We ask God, but act before he's answered. <laughs> Do you think we should use such... <laughs> Some of you, maybe have been chopping ears off people. Maybe not. If you have, we'll take you down to Parkside after. Listen, you don't have to chop someone's ear off. You can be, you can be doing things with your mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, the Word of God says. Someone once said to me, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'll say sticks and stones will break my bones and words always hurt me. Always hurt me. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd rather have a bat around the bottom of my legs. Maybe not. than someone say a terrible thing that I harbor in my heart that produces bitterness for the rest of my life. <laughs> Better to have a bruise on your leg. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will kill you. Some of us are going around and asking God to do something in our lives and then we start getting involved and we don't let God in on the scene. So we start doing collateral damage. We start causing chaos. Chaos. In what He wants to plan as something peaceful. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've been attacking someone. Maybe you've been hurting someone. Maybe you've been saying the wrong words to someone. But it's time today to hold your tongue and let God, let Jesus lead you in that place of anguish. Lead you in that place of confusion. Because otherwise, the confusion... The upset will start determining what you do and say. I mean, the ear goes and you can imagine. This is chaos. Blood everywhere. The ear's on the floor. Everyone's looking around for the ear. Everyone's like, what's happening? Judas is thinking, well, I didn't expect this. It's getting a bit messy. Listen to me. When we start sticking our own flesh into it, it starts to change things. I put here that when your perspective is in the flesh, you become reactive in the flesh. If you see things in the flesh, you're going to react in the flesh. You need to react in the Spirit. You see, if they'd have been praying that they didn't fall into temptation, and they prayed so hard that the Spirit of God would lead them, they wouldn't even attempt to do that. Maybe they did pray. But Jesus knew it was an important prayer to pray so that they wouldn't be pulled in and sucked in to what the enemy wanted in that. How many of you today act before God answers? You ask Him. You get in the private place. You pray. In fact, some of us, we've already got a plan. We know what we're going to do before we just tell God what we're doing. We go in there. We pretend You pretend you're asking Him, but you already know what you're doing. He knows. The Lord knows. He weighs weighs our hearts. He knows the motive of your heart. Can I just say that? No matter what you try to do, you cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows the motives of our hearts. And when you pray, you've got to be honest with Him. You've got to say, God, this is what I want, and I want your will. Your will be done, not mine. Not mine. Your will. You see, when the flesh reacts badly, the flesh gets hurt badly. Maybe you're on the receiving end. Maybe you're the one who's stood there and you're in this scene and you've, you've, lost, you've lost an ear. You've lost an ear. You've lost a part of you. Someone has broken you. They've done some damage to you. They've hurt you. They've broken you. You're on the receiving end in this chaos. You thought you were coming to collect Jesus. You thought you were a part of this plan. All of a sudden something's gone wrong. Maybe you have found yourself in the receiving end and you're broken hearted. Jesus responds. He says, no more of this. That's a word to you today. In your situation, no more. No more of this. Stop it. Stop sticking your flesh in on something that I'm trying to guide in life for you. I'm trying to guide you and you're getting too involved. No more of this. In Matthew 26, 53, same account. Jesus tells a story. He says, don't you think I could bring a legion of more than 12, 12 legions of angels come and rescue? But it must happen this way. It's got to happen this way. You see, if you look at that language, they said when they saw what was happening, that's when they said, shall we get the swords? But his response in Matthew 26 is, it must happen this way. A dark hour. A dark hour. No, the dark hours are not for me. These hours are not for me. Darkness raining. No, it's not for me. Everything's got to be swimmingly well for me. It's not true. John 19, verse 27. Jesus says this. He says, now my heart is troubled. What then shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It's for this very reason. I've come to this hour. In other words, he says, I could say my heart is troubled. My heart is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. I could say, what should I say, Father, save me, but no, 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 that's not the right request, because I have come to this hour to fulfill the plan for my Father. Hallelujah. Some of us need to start asking how God's going to do it. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I ask how all the time. How? How? How is this going to change? How is it going to happen? How, Lord? Some of you got to stop asking how and look to the who. you got to know the who, not the how. You've got to know who is going to get you through. You see, the key is in all this is that the disciples, all they need to do is fix their eyes on Jesus. Fix their eyes on Him. Not the problem. Not the problem. But so many of us are asking how. I put here, if you can't be corrected by God... You'll never be directed by God. You see what they said, when he said to them no more of this, he was correcting them. Do you know some of us don't like being corrected? If you don't like being corrected by God, you won't be directed by him. He says no more of this. Stop it. Stop. Put your swords away. And some of you today, I really feel to say to you, one of the things that you need to learn is that a good, listen, a good, good father disciplines his children. My children, when they're naughty, I have to discipline them. We, we've got into this grounding stage now. used to be naughty, Matt. Now it's grounding. And now we have to ground, ground them and take things away from them. And it's amazing that the deals they come up with. I actually have to list every gadget now. It's like, Emma sent me a message the day they've done this. I said, well, send him a message telling him he's not allowed on the PlayStation, the mobile phone. I'm trying to think of every gadget in the house to make sure we cover all. It's like a a, a legal contract. Because I know my son's that clever. He'll say, well, you missed the Wii (laughs) upstairs. He's so clever. And I'll say, well, you're right. (laughs) You spotted that one. Some of us, we don't like discipline. We don't like to be disciplined. But listen, a good father, he disciplines his kids. And so sometimes, do you know what? Welcome the discipline of God in your life. If you welcome the discipline from the heavenly father, who is true and perfect. Whew. Listen, some of you are not, uh, this, this is what a rebellious attitude is. A rebellious attitude says, no, I don't want to be corrected. I'm right my life's the way I'm living it I am not going to be corrected listen the moment you you humble yourself before God you let pride move out the way you'll find that you can be directed by God some of you if you don't do this you'll stay in the garden you'll stay there because you can't be corrected if he said no more of this and they all started having a big fight and getting the swords out saying I'm sorry but you don't understand these people need to be killed Jesus would have probably run off and left them all. This is not, I'm not supposed to be here. There's a place for me to go. Some of us sometimes, we can't be corrected by him. And what happens is, in a garden like that, when someone's been wounded, do you know what Satan does? He tries to get you fixed and focused on the pain of an event rather than the purpose of the event. So what happens is you stay in the garden focusing on the problem and trying to deal with the problem. And Jesus is saying to you today, stop focusing on the ear that's been broken. Stop focusing on all the problems in the garden because there's a greater purpose in this event than what you can see. Don't get stuck in the pain of an event in your life or a traumatic event that holds you. And the devil's now got you because you don't walk into the full destiny of what God has for you. Don't let the pain of an event hold you back. Look at God's ultimate purpose. You know, I love the fact that even though Peter runs away, because really when they prayed that they wouldn't fall into temptation, what does he do? He runs off at the end of all this. He's like, everyone, everyone leaves Jesus. He runs off, and in John chapter 18, he's round the fire, and it says the one of relatives of Malchus." The, the guy who's got his ear chopped off, he comes up and says, Hey, didn't, didn't, weren't you one of the guys who were in the, in the garden? Peter's like, No, it's not me. <laughs> You're looking at the wrong person. I wasn't on Crime Watch. Not me. Yeah, it's someone who looks like me. He says, Aren't you the person? Look, what happens is this. When you're not prepared to follow Jesus, when you're not prepared to be corrected by him and to live in his plan, you end up running away and you find yourself in lonely places. Places where you deny God. You deny him. Thank God for John chapter 21 where Peter gets reinstated. I love that. I love I love the little titles Peter gets reinstated I'm like th- thank you Jesus I'm glad I'm glad there's some reinstatement cuz I need some of that <laughs> Don't know about you do you like I- I'm so hopeful when I see that Peter's reinstated That Jesus, after three times denial, does not leave him. He does not say, oh, you left me in the garden, you did this, you chopped someone's ear off, you're crazy. He doesn't say that and think, I'm not even bothering chasing after him. No, he goes and he tries and makes a barbecue on the beach. And he calls Peter back in to bring the fish after a miraculous catch. And he comes in and they all have a great time together. And Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? John chapter 21, it's the hope for every one of us in here. Why? Because He reinstates those who have walked away from Him. He, he reinstates. So listen, if you've, run, if you've been troubled by that garden experience, if you messed up, if you focused on the pain of event and everything went wrong, i got good news for you today. Whatever you've done wrong in your life, Jesus Christ is there to rescue you, deliver you, and bring you back to a hope and a future in Him. Hallelujah. Some of you right now, you're in your life, you're saying, you didn't know about Jesus. And you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, do you know what, I resonate with this because I've been in a garden of anguish, things have happened, people hurt me, I was broken, I've had things broken from me, it's not my ear that got lost, but someone wounded me. And I didn't think there was any way forward. In fact, I rejected God. I ran away from that situation. I got lonely. I'm all on my own. And Jesus says, I'm coming to find you. I'm coming to look for you, son. I'm coming to look for you, daughter. Because I'm the one who reinstates the broken. I'm the one who comes to look for the person that feels like they've let me down. That's the people I'm looking for. That's the people I'm looking for. Hallelujah. And finally, number three. When all hell breaks loose, power turns wounds into wonder. Power turns wounds into wonder. I love this verse 51. It says, Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. Look, we're not talking about someone who reinstates you and, and gives you a pep talk and says, Look, there's a better way of living life. We're talking about the resurrection of the life. We're talking about the one who has power in his hands. We're talking about the one who healed the sick. He raised the dead. He raised, raised Lazarus from the dead. I can't speak today. He raised Lazarus. He is the resurrection and the life. And so I want to just encourage you today. Jesus is not just your best personal life coach. Some churches preach like that these days. We don't want any life coach sessions. We want the truth of God's word. We want to see a demonstration of power. If you want revival, it's not going to come through life coaching sessions. It's going to come through a demonstration of power. The Spirit's power. So listen, Jesus is not just saying, I'm the one who's coming to find you and to reinstate you and give you a bit of advice on how to live your life. I'm coming to you because, Peter, I'm the one, if you remember, who dealt with the restoration of the man's ear that you cut off. I'm the one who holds power in my hands. When all hell breaks loose in your life, power turns wounds into wonder. Whatever blows or things that you've had dealt in your life, let me say to you today, God can heal you. Can I have the keys back? Is that okay, Edwin? Whatever wounds you've received, Psalm 147, verse 3 says, He heals. God heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. You know, so many of us talk a lot about physical wounds. You talk about someone's ear chopped off, you talk about someone with a bad back, bad leg. But I'll tell you something there's a lot of wounds out there that people don't see. You have been in that garden. You've gone through anguish. You've gone through things. You've got wounds that no one knows anything about. You've got wounds that no one knows anything about. Wounds of rejection. Do you know what? I love the fact, Jesus, there's nothing you can't find in the scriptures about Jesus that he's not suffered that you are going through. He was rejected. He's rejected the wounds that we feel inside may not be seen on the outside. But listen to me. There's some good news today. When all hell's breaking loose in your life, He will turn your wounds into wonder. He'll turn your wounds into wonder. You know, last week I was, when I preached in in Rotherham, I was there in the morning and then... By evening, I, was, I had the evening free, and my, my parents, they said, shall we go and get a takeaway? And, you know, I had to force them away from me, you know, to have takeaway. That's not my kind of thing, really. I said, are you sure? Go on, then. See, I'm not like, I'm not like Marvelous. I'm not fit like him. I'm, all, I'm more partial to a, a bag of chips, you see. I need to take a leaf out of his book. Said, okay, then we'll have we'll have some chips. So I went with my dad to the to the fish and chip shop, and we went to this this place, and we walked in, and there's a, there's one person getting served next to us. We just got served. We would ordered all our food, and um, I've been in the fish and chip shop years, going up there, and so this woman stood next to us. She's a nurse. Looks like she's just come from a shift, and um, we're getting served, and I. All of the food's now in the bag. She's put it on the top, and she's about to say one last thing to us. If you order so much food, you get a free bottle of drink. And so she said, help yourself to a bottle of drink. And that was the last thing she said. And, and I knew that if I wanted to do anything at this moment, I had to say it there and then. And I felt the Spirit of God come upon me and say, I want you to say to the woman, offer to pray for her, because I believe she had pain. Now I saw behind the tills, there was one of the women, there's a few of them working around behind the till. One of them had a, a witchcraft pentagram symbol sign. And, and I saw her running around. And most of them, let me just say, that these women, they look quite tired and they look like they've got the world on their shoulders. And I just felt for them. I thought, in the, you know, we come here, we grab things, we get our food, we leave. There's some wounds here. And I believe God wants to do something. Because let me tell you, Jesus, do you know what I love about that story? Jesus didn't leave the scene without restoring the scene. Jesus could have just said, come on then, let's go. I've I've got a place to get to. I'm going to the cross. That's why I've come. That's why I've come. We've got to get there. We've got to get there. No, he doesn't. Before he goes, he restores the scene and then leaves. He puts it back to where it should have been. And listen, that's what God does today. He wants to restore traumatic scenes. He wants to restore things. i have stood there with my dad and we get the chips. And I just said to the woman, I said, "Um, can I just ask you a question? Are you suffering with any pain in your body? The woman says to me, she says, I am actually. She says, I'm suffering terribly. She said, I've got spondylitis, if anyone knows what that is. And I just nodded. I thought, I don't know what that is. She said, I've got pain all in my back. And she goes, it's all loads of pain in my back. I said, well, listen, the nurse stood next to me waiting to order her chips. And I said, listen, I said, I'm a Christian and I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. And I said, I believe that Jesus can heal you and he can take that pain away. And she said, oh, wow. I said, can I pray for you? She said, yeah. I said, serve the lady and then I'll pray. My dad's holding the chips. And so we stepped back and we let this lady get served. Meanwhile, another lady comes next to her. She stood next to her and I said, God. Is there anything wrong with this lady as well? And I felt the Lord says she's got a problem in her feet. Tell her that. So I said, excuse me. I said, do you have a problem in your feet? She says, yes, I do. How did you know that? I said, I just asked God and he just told me you've got a problem. She said, I've just been to the doctors this week. She said, and I was told I've got, is it planty, flasciitis or whatever it is, flasciitis. I said this morning in the church, I said, when God never said that to me. If he did, I'd have never understood what he was talking about. He just said, pain in the feet. Keep it simple, God. I'm a northerner. So I said, okay. I said, it sounds like it's the feet. But she goes, yeah, they told me it's a problem with my feet. I've been this week. She says, the pain's there now. I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray for you then. So the the nurse leaves. Now this whole shop's empty. Now every time I've ever been in that shop, it's always full. It's empty. So now I've got these two women stood in front of me with my dad and this, the first lady who had asked, I said, I just want to pray for the lady with the feet first. Is that okay? She says, Yes. Yeah. So I said, take my hand, took her hand over the, the counter. I said, In the name of Jesus, now I take authority over this pain in your body, and I take authority over your feet, and I command all pain to leave right now in Jesus' name. Instantly, instantly, she was healed completely. All the pain leaves her feet. Leaves her feet instantly. She goes, Why is a sheep? Come on. Then listen, then. She's so shocked. She says to the lady with spondylitis, you've got to let him do this. I'm thinking, wow. This is amazing. So the lady with spondylitis, I said, take my hand. So she takes my hand. I said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this, this pain in your back now. I command all of it to leave right now. The other lady's just watching. All the pain leaves her back instantly. She's instantly healed. You cannot find the pain in the back. My dad stood there with the chips in his hand. My mum's at home with the plates in the oven, warming them up. Waiting for us to return, wondering where we are. At this point, I really realized what John chapter 4 was. Is when Jesus didn't bother getting any food. He loved doing what he did. The Father's will. All of a sudden, I lost my hunger. So then I said, is there anyone else? A lady walks in. She comes across. She's the one with the pentagram around her neck. I said, excuse me. Tell them what's just happened. Tell this lady. So they tell her. I says, have you got pain in your body? She says, yes. She goes, where do you want to start? I thought, why did I ask that? She come up to the counter and I said to her, I said, where's the pain? She says, all in my arms. And I'm looking at this big pentagram thing around her neck. I thought, no wonder. What are you involved in? She stood there. I said, take my hand. I took her hand over the counter. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command any foul spirit right now, any spirit of infirmity, break off her right now in Jesus' name. All pain, get out of her body right now. Literally, instantly on the spot, all the pain left the body. She goes white as a sheet. All three of them are now conferring between them on the power of God, touching them, saying, what is this? This is amazing. I'm stood there with my dad. My dad's still got the chips. They're going cold. A third woman walks into the shop. She's the boss. I said, tell, tell your boss what's just happened. So they turned around, they're saying, this has happened. She goes, I've heard. She goes, in fact, this is what's happening. She said, while you've just been praying, my husband, who is the owner at home, he's just been watching over the security cameras in his lounge, seeing you praying for those three. And so he's just phoned the shop and said to me, what's going on in our shop? So she said, listen, my husband has a one-year back condition that the doctors cannot sort. They've had done scans. They've checked his livers, his kidneys. They cannot find the problem. He's in absolute agony. And so I've just said to him, well, what's happening is a man's just come in and and he's praying for them. And three people of our staff have just got healed. If you want to get healed, you better get down here now. So he comes. He comes we stood there they took our food off us put it back in the heaters I'm stood waiting for this gentleman to arrive the boss all of a sudden the car screeches up on the front it's his daughter he jumps out of the car and he walks in his name's Luca he comes in to me and I said Luca it's good to meet you I said tell him what's happened so they tell him what's happened I said come with me I'd take him through the back of his shop this is what they said to us they said you have took control of the shop that's what they said it's what the power of God does they said that that the owner he said you've took control of this shop he took us through the back we were stood in the back of the fish and chip shop now amongst all the cut fish and chips and I stood there thinking this is crazy I said to him I said what's the problem he tells me the problem I pray for him all the pain leaves his body he gets healed then his wife is chatting to my dad saying where is the church what is this about so my dad's writing all the information of the church down giving the details to them about the church To the the wife, who's not yet been prayed for. There's been three women, and he's now been healed. Then I said to him, I said, listen, Luca, I know you've just come down here, but the the key thing is this, is actually you need to know Jesus as your personal Savior. You see, he can heal your body, but you you need in here healing. And so I led him to Christ. Come on. This gentleman, he stood in front of me. He stood in front of me. The chips are in the warmer. We've been there a good 40 minutes nearly. And he says this. I said, say this prayer with me. He took my hand. He said it as loud as anything at the back of the fish shop. He shout, he's shouting, in the name of Jesus, I, I ask you right now to film me. And he's saying, wash me by your precious blood. I thought this gentleman was only sat in his lounge about 40 minutes ago watching the TV. Now he's here. Wow. Saying the prayer of salvation. You can either leave a scene or restore a scene you can either leave a scene and say oh everything's a, or you restore a scene that you're in power turns wounds into wonder they were all at wonder, wonder what's going on you look at the story of when the the man was lowered through the roof they're in amazement it said "Seen remarkable things here today listen it doesn't end there he gives his life to jesus Then I said to his wife, I said, are you in pain? She says, I am. I've got problems in my ankles. It's amazing. My advice to you is never work in a fish and chip shop. (laughs) Sounds like it's a very painful experience. Tough work. She said, I've got pain in my ankles, and it's there now. Now, listen to this. I said, you've seen what's happened to three of your staff. You've seen what's happened to your husband watch this, I knelt on the floor the back of the chip shop and I put my hands onto her feet and do you know what, I knew she was going to get healed why, because not, do you know what none of these people in that shop, not one of them contested against the reality of Jesus Christ none of them talked about whether there's evolution and all this And they just said pray for us that's what you need I got on the, on the floor and I touched her feet and I said in the name of Jesus I command now Paragot come upon your ankles, leave right now Literally, the pain leaves. She's walking around trying to get the pain to come back. She says, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe the pain's gone. Then I said, what's happening? Tell your husband what's happening. She says, it feels like wind is blowing round my ankles. I mean, I didn't tell her to say that. We then go into the back of the shop. I end up praying for the daughter then. She says, I get pain sometimes, but it's not there now. I says, well, will still pray for you. So I pray for her. I end up praying for all of them, every one of them. At the end of it, I didn't mention this this morning, the lady came back in to, to my dad. She gave him the food back and gave him his money back and says, we want you to eat tonight and be blessed because we don't want the money. My, my, my dad was with, and you've got to remember, he's a northern, he likes a deal. <laughs> They're both fighting to take the money. He's, going, we don't, he's trying to give the money back. She's saying, no, we'd be offended. We're, I'm from Greece. She goes, we like to give food to people accept the food and my dad's there and they're fighting I said just take the money dad it's a blessing learn to receive a blessing I said look we don't get paid for this we're not looking for anything but if you want to give us the food for free and by the way the fish was a little burnt we got back that night my dad said when you get in the house don't tell your mum straight away because you're never going to eat your dinner when you get in so I sat down at the table my mum said where have you been it's been about an hour and a half and then she started eating the fish because this is a little bit burnt. And I was just chuckling, thinking, wait while you hear the story. You won't worry about burnt fish. And I told her, and she said, Wow. What can I say? Jesus has the power to turn wounds into wonder. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church,